Erin. Hello, Erin. How are you? Hello. I'm wonderful and so happy you're here on a grey Seattle day. This is what gets me up and motivated to talk to incredible women like you. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I'm really honoured and really, uh, I'm really appreciative to be here. I'm the one that's honoured. Colleen Ghost is a life coach for women in toxic relationships. She teaches women in toxic relationships how to develop their voice to get out of a life of fear and stress to a life of freedom, joy and empowerment. Colleen shares her experiences and tools of self-discovery and growth with her clients so that they can lead a life of abundance while feeling empowered, fulfilled, and confident. And she's also incredibly brave. While I was researching you, Colleen, you are honest, you are open, and you are vulnerable, and you share about your own experiences surviving and thriving after a toxic relationship. And that is incredibly powerful because there's so much shame around abusive relationships for somebody to come out and state, hey, I was abused, I left. Is so, it's such a service. Well, thank you for saying that because you're absolutely right. It, uh, for people who have gone through and, and have experienced an abusive relationship feel that they are, um, they feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed to share their experiences or their story with anyone for fear of being judged. And it's, and I felt the same way, to be honest with you, I felt that I couldn't share my story. So when I was going through my, my relationship, my toxic relationship, I didn't share it with anybody because I thought people would judge me as to why I was in that relationship. You know, was there something, you know, I, I, so I didn't share it. And only now I feel empowered to share my story because I really want to help women who are in those situations or who have gone through or are in a cycle of toxic relationships. I want to be there to provide them with um, encouragement, with hope and with confidence that this is something that they can change and they can come out of it and into a life that they truly want to be in and they can be the best version of themselves and move forward and, and live the life that they deserve to live. And it can take time to leave an abusive relationship. It's just not that simple as walking out the door. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes it as challenging or difficult as well for people who have never been in a relationship like that to truly understand that it does take time because you do face um, conflict in a sense of, you do care for your the person you're in that relationship with. The person you married or fell in love with is still there. So you fell in love with that person. So it becomes a challenge to, to understand for yourself that that person that you loved is not the person you should be with. The way they treat you is, is wrong. And they need help in terms of uh, getting out of that situation themselves. But for you, for the person that's going through this, it does take time because you need to then work through those issues and work through those feelings and realize that the most important thing is to take care of yourself. That in order to take care of yourself, you need to then decouple yourself from that relationship and move forward and move out of it, which is, is very difficult because a lot of people that are in those relationships, and I could speak for myself, is that your self-esteem is gone. 
your your confidence and your ability to feel like you can take on the world is gone. So those are things that you have to find within yourself, at least enough that you can get out of that relationship and then spend the time healing and moving forward to a better life for yourself. And we can't fix the other person. If the other person, you, you put it so graciously, the other person is ill and needs yeah. help. Right. We're not the ones that are able to provide that. Often we're the, we're the one person who can't because we're too close to the environment. I've heard it described as detaching with love, which right. is a hard skill to learn. Right. And it is, it's, it's really, you do at the end of the day, and I, and I went through this myself, is that you do have a love for that person that you fall in love with. That person, as I mentioned, is still there. They're just, it's just clouded. They've, they've allowed themselves to live in, the, in their bitterness and hate or whatever they're going through, their own issues. They've allowed themselves to have that overcome the relationship as a whole. And you know, that's, as you mentioned earlier, Aaron, that's their issue. They need to figure out a way to fix that. And if they choose not to fix it, that is their choice as well. But it doesn't mean that you need, the person needs to continue to live in that environment. No one deserves, I truly believe this, nobody deserves to be treated badly. Everyone deserves to be respected. Everyone deserves to be honored and loved. And if you're not feeling that in your relationship, it's time to make a change. And in particular, perhaps for women who are so disempowered financially, mm -hmm. the fear of financial security, do you feel that might be a reason that people stay together? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes people do. They feel, again, you know, women feel that they're not, who, especially those who have been, you know, maybe stay-at-home moms or people that have, you know, not had a, a career of some sort. They may feel anchored to that person for financial reasons. And I, and I truly get that. And that's why a lot of women stay in those relationships, but that's not to say that that can't change. That's not to say that they can't look and see what resources are available to them. You know, whether it's, you know, getting, whether their job opportunities that they can look at, whether there's other resources that can help them until they're ready to get on their feet. So there are resources out there that they can look towards for support that doesn't mean that they need to stay in that relationship any longer. So that's one of the things I help my clients with too, is to say, you know, if you feel that you're not ready to leave, whatever reason, let's look to see what, what let's put together a plan. Because I think there needs to be a plan in place to say, you know, I may not be able to leave today, but I could put a plan in place to leave in, you know, in a time frame that works for me. And this is the plan. You know, I'm going to be either finding a job or I'm going to look for resources and I'm going to, you know, hook myself up with resources that can help me find a place to live, find a job, survive and, and get out of this situation. So there are there is opportunities out there for people. It's just a matter of putting a plan in place to make it happen. The empowerment of creating an action plan yes. to have that sense of agency back and to know that you can take little steps towards the life that you want. And you don't have to do it alone. Right. And that's exactly true. You don't have to do it alone. And again, as we talked about in the beginning, a lot of women feel, and I and I truly understand this, you feel like you are alone, that you cannot share your story with others for fear of um, judgment or for fear of not being understood by others. Um, but that's not the case. There are people out there like myself and others who 
understand what you're going through, understand what it feels like to be in that situation. And there are resources out there to help. And as you mentioned, Erin, it's the power of putting together a plan to make that happen. And if I may, you share a little bit about your own story. I believe you're in a toxic relationship for two decades. That's correct. And, and that was it. I mean, I was in this relationship for a long time. And when I first met my, my husband at the time, it was, you know, it, it was it was almost like a textbook type of situation where he was this great guy. I, you know, felt so supported and loved. And he was, he was, he, I met him at the perfect time. And what I mean by that is I was going through struggles at the time myself. And he was this support person. I mean, I could rely on him. I felt, and I fell in love with him because of who he was. He was so supportive and stuff. So we got married a couple of years later. And I would say a couple of years about a year after that, I started slowly seeing the controlling side of him. I started seeing the side of a person I never knew existed. I saw the anger. It was funny how he could control his anger um, when we were dating and we were going through um, before we got married. But after we got married, that anger, that control went away. I walked in eggshells most of the time, not knowing when or what was going to trigger that anger. Um, and I stayed in it for a long time because I think I got so worn down. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. I entered the relationship not feeling good about who I was. My self-confidence was at an all-time low, given some other experiences that I had. And I can, I can say for sure that I had a cycle of toxic relationships in my life. So based on that cycle, I was already in a point of not feeling good about who I was. Now I was in a relationship with somebody who I thought was a great guy, turned out not to be. Um, and I felt, well, maybe this is what I deserve. Maybe. And then I, on, then on top of that, after, after a while, I realized I don't deserve this, but I, how do I get out of it? I, I had no support structure. I, I didn't set one up for myself, so I had nobody to talk to about it. I think people thought we had a somewhat good relationship. I mean, there were those that saw the abuse, but I decided not to help or support me for whatever the reasons they had. So I was on my own, and it took me a long time to build up enough confidence to get out of that relationship. And I think part of it was not only building the confidence slowly over time, but also seeing how it impacted my children. I have two girls who are now adults, but seeing how that toxic relationship impacted them as well. And I realized that I couldn't put them in that situation any longer. It was not healthy for them. It wasn't healthy for anybody. And, um, but it took a long, it took a succession of um, bad experiences. And what I mean by that is it took succession of things going from bad to worse to whatever that next word would be for worse for me to then say, wait a minute, this is a wake up call. I need to, to make a change. But it took a long time for that to happen. So I totally get and understand how people who are in those may not be willing to just walk away as soon as they see or experience a difficulty, experience abuse, because it doesn't work that way. It, it Because you, you yourself don't feel that you deserve any better initially, and hopefully that changes over time, and for me it did, but it took a long time for that to happen. So incredibly brave, and what an incredible example for your daughters. And I think for many, for many women, the breaking point is when they see the impact it's having on their children. Right. And that 
can be what finally motivates them because even if they feel I'm speaking based on, on what people have been kind enough to confide in me. They may not feel they're worthy, but they sure as hell believe their children are. Exactly. that It's exactly true. So we as moms, even though we may not feel that we're worthy of being treated any differently, for whatever reason, we, we are still mama bears and we still care about what happens to our children and we want the best life for them. So we that's usually the trigger to say, well, wait a minute. Once it starts impacting my children, I need to do something different. So you're right. Speaking of doing something different, you had an established career as a, as a procurement officer. You, you've got a Bachelor of Science in Law. Yeah. You're yeah. a business admin. And you worked with Fortune 500 companies. But I recently saw that you gave a talk on why I became a life coach. So how did you get from procurement to this passion? Well, I was in procurement. It was one of those careers that I fell into out of college. You know, I was one of those people that didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I took, I majored in pre-law in college thinking I wanted to be an attorney. And when I got out, I realized that wasn't the path I wanted to go down. Um, so I looked at contract administration, which was like the next and best thing, you know, reviewing contracts, making changes, what have you becoming like a paralegal, if you will. And then from there, I went into a procurement and sourcing position, which led, which kind of, I led throughout my career um, and worked for many different companies. And um, it was what, it, so my, I was able to do the job. I am very detail oriented. So the, I could do the work and did the work well after a while, but it wasn't something that brought me joy. And I couldn't figure out why. And I knew that I didn't, I didn't feel engaged I, I didn't want to do this work, but I didn't know what to do next. I had no really good understanding of what my skills were. So I took, I went on a journey at that point. Um, I went on a journey to truly understand, well, what, what would bring me joy? What, what am I good at? <laughs> and this, uh, the, this journey actually happened once I, I divorced my, my first husband and was going through my own healing as a person. I went through this journey as well to understand well, what do I want to do with the rest of my chat, my my career? Do I want to continue in a job I hated, or do I want to do something different? So I went down the path of figuring that out, and as part of that process, life coaching came to me as a calling. And um, when I heard about life coaching, I started going down the path of doing some research and realized that it was a great fit for what my values were, what. I wanted to do and how I wanted to help people. So I became a certified coach and started doing coaching part-time. And then in January of this year, I realized I really wanted to do coaching full-time. So I decided to move forward with my own business and I loved every minute of it. You found where you're meant to be. Uh, Colleen is spelled with one L, by the way, and you can find coaching with Colleen, that's C-O-L-E-E-N.com. Uh, where you will see a photo of her with her beautiful daughters. It's a great shot, woolly hats and all. It was obviously a cold day in Seattle or a very cold day somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it was a cold day in Portland, Oregon, which is where I live. Um, and yeah, we went on a hike. It was Christmas Eve and we went on a hike and that's where that picture was taken. Well, it's a great photo. I'm going to say something you said. You can absolutely help your clients rediscover what they've loved because when you've been living in a toxic relationship for a long time, losing a sense of self, forgetting what brings you joy, 
losing contact with what brings you joy, helping your clients to rediscover that. And I believe you, why is it important to learn how to dream again? It is so important to learn how to dream. That's how we grow as individuals. And after, and I, when I was in my, in that toxic relationship for many years, I stopped dreaming. I was always a seeker. When I was growing up as a child, I always wanted to learn. I always wanted to dream. I always was a dreamer. You know, what could I do next? And I dream of all kinds of things. I loved my imagination to let it just flow. And when I got into my, when I was in that long-term relationship, marriage i started stop losing i stopped dreaming i stopped thinking that i could have a life that was different i stopped thinking about wanting to do better and wanting to be happy and wanting to be successful i came i lived a life of existence and i each and every day so i went into kind of like survivor mode most of those times and Dreaming is not part of survivor mode. You don't dream when you're trying to survive. So dreaming is how we grow and it's how we become successful. And that's how we become our best version of ourselves. Self-actualization is quite high up the pyramid too. I mean, as you said, when you thrive, when you're, when you're surviving, you don't have the bandwidth to thrive. But creating an action plan will get you to that life. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, you need a plan to know what to do next. You need a and part of that plan also includes growing as a person, you know, building that self-confidence. Because I think once you put a plan in place or start to draft a plan, you realize that, yes, I can do this. Yes, I deserve it. Yes, I can get out of this situation, this relationship and move on to bigger and better things. So the plan helps you realize all of those things that you can be a better person that you you don't deserve a better life and you deserve to be happy i help my clients create confidence in their wardrobe by by dressing as the person they want to be dressing for their vision so i'm going to sneak a clothing question in here for you absolutely when women are, are surviving when people are just simply surviving in a toxic relationship did you find it impacted what you wore Oh, absolutely. Totally. I, I never, when I was just surviving, my wardrobe didn't really show me as a person of confidence. Um, I didn't dress for success. Even I dressed, you know, just, just to dress. <laughs> I didn't even think about what I was projecting. I was, when I think back on it, to be honest, I really was projecting someone who was unhappy. When I look back at my wardrobe, I didn't care what I wore. I never bought new clothes. I was happy with secondhand clothes if I, you know, it didn't matter to me. Not that that's a bad thing. Thrift shopping is great, but I didn't care about what I looked like because I didn't feel really great on the inside. So it really projected itself on the outside. And but one, I'm sorry, go ahead. Excuse me. I was going to say uh, a lack of self-worth can also translate into a scarcity mentality, a deprivation mentality, an unwillingness to spend money on yourself. Absolutely. And, and I think back at all those years, I didn't spend money on myself at all. I mean, I didn't buy new clothes. I didn't buy it. Um, part of that was that, you know, we only had so much money. I was the breadwinner. And most of the time I was the breadwinner and I didn't earn a lot of money in those beginning days. So it was, you know, what comes first? Well, my girls come first. 
their dressing comes first. So I, I came last. And so many times I didn't have anything new to wear or any, for many years. But because I didn't really, like you mentioned, when you're in a survivor mode, you don't really feel like you deserve something new. I, I didn't care. I didn't care what I looked like. But after that was said and done and I started to become I realized I was thriving. I deserve to look great. I wanted to be my future self. And I talk to my clients a lot about this. Who is your future self? You want to be your future self. And that future self dresses for success. So I started doing that as well. Started dressing the way I felt I wanted to look like as a successful life coach. So I start to dress that way. I start to project that way. And before you know it, that's who you become because of the way you dress and the way you hold yourself. And your confidence eludes from that too. Oh, <laughs> I agree more. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering what the weird noise is in the background, it's my French bulldog snoring. Oh, I love French bulldogs. What's his name? <laughs> his name is Jewel as a unit of energy. And oh, it's on, on basically being my sound engineer and adding to the ambience. Uh, I think <laughs> that have come to me through for transformation and they've started off not wanting to be visible. And we and we we've worked together so they can become visible. And in many cases, toxic relationships can impact the way that you're getting dressed because of partners' disapproval. Right. Have you ever have you ever found that to be the case? Uh somewhat. I mean, you know, it, yeah. Depending on what I wore, he'd have you know my my uh, he would have certain things to say if I dressed to. Um, uh, you know, just too professionally, like if I was really put together and I like a power suit, he would always have something to say about that. Like, oh, that's that doesn't look good. You should change or, you know, that's not who you are. That's you don't know you should really who you are. Or he put me down and say it was fat and ugly. I mean, I, I've heard the gamut. And, and um, yes, to be answer your question, simply, yes, it, it impacted the way I dressed. Thank you so much for being so honest about that. Oh, I didn't mean to talk over you. Uh, no. Women have, uh, uh, excuse me, you have a morning ritual. I have a morning ritual. Would you tell me about yours? Sure. My morning ritual, excuse me, includes um, exercising. I work out every day. I try to work out 45 minutes, but if I can do 20, I'm happy. Just to work out and start my day, you know, feeling refreshed in that respect. Then I also read for uh, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on time. And I read, usually we'll read a self-help book. Books that I would recommend to my clients, I will read first to make sure that it's something that I truly believe will help them. And then I also do a 10-minute meditation to kind of just ground myself. And then I also do I also do my positive affirmations. And what I found works for me is I stand in front of a mirror. I put my heart on my hand, my hand on my heart. Let me say that right. And I say my affirmations and look at myself, say them and, and make sure I'm projecting positivity and, and as much light as I can. And by doing all of those pieces of my morning, I, I start my day. And when I finally sit down and look at my computer and, and do my emails, I feel like I'm giving people the best version of who I am because I've allowed myself to get there every each and every day. Well, you put yourself into a, into a great state. You've put yourself yeah. in 
you can be of benefit. I always start the day off with something positive, along with a very, very strong coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can't forget that. That is so true. <laughs> what do you think about your upcoming book? I believe it's called uh, A Way of Lifetime, Thriving Through the Transitions of Life. Yes. Yeah, so my book is is essentially that I really wanted to share my story in terms of the looking at the transitions that we all go through as women, you know, whether it's, you know, going through, you know, becoming, going through puberty, starting there, and then working through becoming a mom, becoming a career, whatever that may be, going to college, whatever those experiences are. I wanted to share my story in each of those situations. And I also wanted to share information about, you know, emotional intelligence, we all, we hear that term so many times, what does that mean? How does that impact us as people? How do we manage anger as women? You know, that was a chapter that I also went into, involved into sharing my experiences handling anger and, and learning from how I, I handle my anger in a positive way. And then also talking about women's mental health. And I also wanted to share stories about from other women who are friends of mine who have had awesome stories of transition, how they've experienced transitions themselves and, and how it's helped them become who they are today. And also wanting to share about how our faith, for the, you know, whether that's spiritually, whatever faith looks like for people, how faith also helps us get through those struggles through our transitions. When do you think the book will be out? It'll be out by the end of the year. That's fantastic. As I record this, it's August the 30th. So please keep going to Colleen's website. She has an email list you can join. Out the book. Colleen, I can't wait to buy it. Are you self you. You're going to go hybrid? I have self-publishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, the book will be on Amazon and all the other outlets, Barnes & Noble, and, and every other else you can go online to order. Hey, I saw a book of yours, which really resonated with me because I am all about mindset when it comes to money. Money beliefs. Yes. Some of your thoughts on money beliefs? Well, and that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. I've also, that was one of the chapters I have in my book as well is money beliefs, because when I think back about my money beliefs, a lot of times we learn our money beliefs from when we are children from our parents. And, and then, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, we can then sharpen those beliefs change them, what have you, as we get older. For me, my money beliefs, I came from, my money beliefs really were, my parents took great care of us. I had no issues with money, but I never learned how to also manage my money properly. And then when I was in my first marriage, which was very toxic, I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was a breadwinner. Um, I was, my husband said, no, you take care of the money. So I did, but then it was always being criticized because I never did a good enough job because it was, I, I was, and I've only had so many money, so much money, but he had, you know, he wanted to spend much more than we had. So it was always a constant battle of trying to ream in those expectations that we couldn't spend so much. We ended up spending most of the time we spent more than what we could. And instead of me trying to ram that in, being the people pleaser I was at the time, I would allow that to happen. But you've got ramifications for that. So you end up being in a position where you need to make very hard and fast decisions, which are not always easy to do. What do we do? What do we give up now? What do we not pay for? And that in and of itself is such a stressful environment to live in. 
Um, and I once I divorced and healed and realized that I need to do much, much better with my money, I learned how to budget. I learned how to save. And those skills in and of itself were so valuable because then I truly felt totally in control of my life. I actually had a plan on how to save for things that I wanted. I had a plan on how to save for emergencies. And I also had a plan how to save for my retirement, um, which when I was married were never possible. Um, it was always living paycheck to paycheck and every day to day. And that's never a great way to live. So now I truly believe I have a, such a, you know, I have a way to live that really honors who I am and honors my way and gives me freedom that I didn't have before. I love the phrase, I live within my means, but my means do not define me. Yeah. We can still live within our means and have a life of abundance. I help my clients create a spending plan. I'm allergic to the word budget. It brings me out the rash, but I, I, I honor the word. I love the word spending plan. I help my clients yeah. create a spending plan for their clothing. To be um, a marriage is a business partnership, and to be in a marriage when one person is a compulsive spender, I can't even begin to imagine the stress that must have caused. Yes, it, it was really difficult, and it and it was really hard because you like you know you only have so much money to go through, and and a lot of it is you know being in that toxic relationship. I think back now that I truly wish I could have done it differently, but at that point, you know, even though we had priorities, those priorities sometimes were put to the wayside because he wanted to spend money on things that were not really necessary. But, you know, we all learn from our experiences and now I'm in a position where that's not the way I live anymore. And I love the way you brought up spending plan. I have one of those and I live with my spending plan, but it, but I have the freedom because of it. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm tied to my money and also coming from the place of abundance. I really believe that if you believe in abundance, you will have abundance. So I live my life like that each and every day now, whereas before I didn't. I love that. Um, one of my favorite sayings is there's always enough time, money, and love. Yep, that is true. I truly believe that. I've seen some posts uh, that are in Spanish. Are you bilingual? Oh, no. I'm not sure why they're in Spanish. To be <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I, I, they're on your they're on your your Facebook page, and I thought, well, I, I know she's multi talented in so many ways. Perhaps uh, there's Espanol in there as well. But obviously, you have friends that speak Spanish that are sharing things with you. Yeah, I think that's it. Some of my Facebook friends are Hispanic. I've noticed that, you know, they'll they'll have um, whether they translate it into Spanish or not. But I'll see that as well. But no, um, I'm a, an English speaker first and foremost. Well, they're helping spread your message. Yes. So gracias, that is fantastic. <laughs> I was interested to see on your website, you say you're a proud mom, which I already on, and a lifelong learner, which I completely and utterly relate with. I'm going to be learning. Uh, I will never stop learning. But you also say you're a proud wife. Uh -huh. So you did marry again. I did. I did. Um, so I was, di I, I, I was divorced and for 10 years, I really spent time focusing on myself and healing and, you know, getting back to who I was, finding out who I was. And then I, when I moved to Portland, which is where I live now, um, six months after I moved here, I met my husband. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I don't think I would have met someone like him until I was ready, until I w found who I was, until I was able to live 
the life, my true self, live to live my best self, I don't think I could have attracted someone like him or been not, not necessarily attracted, but been prepared to be in that relationship. So he is truly my soulmate and my best friend. And, and when I think about our relationship, I think the first word that comes to my mind is that we've got a foundation of respect. And that's something I, I never experienced before in a relationship. And that is so critical to having a successful and happy relationship, there, whether it's a friendship, whatever it may be, there needs to be a foundation of respect. And I didn't have that before. And now I do. And I truly understand the importance of it. So we respect each other. We live, you know, not different lives necessarily. We have different interests, but we know that we've got this anchor that keeps us grounded and keeps us together and keeps us happy. Because not only did your, your ex-husband not respect you, but it's very hard to respect a man who was abusive. Yes. I yes. married for the first time at 48. Uh, and my husband and I made a vow to each other. We would always be kind. We would always be gentle with each other. And we would always do what we could to help each other have the best life we possibly could. So we are a true team. Kindness yes. is right up there, along with not yelling. One of the, uh, we have some non-negotiables and one of mine is voices do not get raised. So. And that's so important. You're absolutely right. And you can, you can resolve any conflict without ever raising your voice. I'm thrilled that you found an incredible human being to spend your time with who respects you. And obviously is thrilled that you have come with bonus daughters, that you come with two yes. young women as well. Yes. I mean, he has a daughter as well. Um, and she opened her arms to me and my daughters. So the blended family really helped happen pretty easily. Um, so, and, and he also has two grandchildren that I've adopted as my own as well. Um, so yeah, we, it's a, it's a great, great blended family. The girl, my girls just think the world of him. He's been a great stepdad to them. Um, and yeah, so it's really worked out and it's, it's, it's one of those things I never thought would happen. I wasn't looking for, well, I was kind of looking for a relationship. I really wasn't sure what I would find, to be honest with you, when I first was ready to start dating again, I wasn't sure what would have happened. I wasn't sure if I'd, you know, move into that toxic relationship cycle again. I was hoping that wouldn't happen and truly it didn't because I wouldn't allow myself to. And I found someone who truly is, is the type of partner that I, that I wanted and needed. So I'm very happy. I'm so happy for you. I've got a couple more questions. One around 2.0. I'm going to ask a question, and please, this is the Kiwi in me, because I'm always asking people where you're from. I don't, you're, you live in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Uh, are you from Portland, Oregon? Because I'm looking at a beautiful photo of you, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your heritage is. No, actually, I'm originally from Hawaii. I was born and raised on Kauai, which is an island in Hawaii. Uh, and then I lived in California for, uh, I was in California for my ma my first marriage and lived there for a long time. And I've been in Portland for seven years. Thank you. I love Kauai. I've been there. There, It's a beautiful island. Hawaii is one of my happy places. And besides, it's halfway home. Back to yeah. me. Thanks for answering that. I'm always curious as to how people ended up in America and where they're actually from. Yeah. So many of my friends were like me. Um, it's quite rare these days to find an actual person who was born in Seattle. 
Yeah, that's so true. I mean, even here in Portland, it's like my husband's born and raised in Portland, but they're very difficult to find people who are truly from here and have been here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I only know one other New Zealander, but I'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> now, please tell me why. I mean, I'm loving this. Jane Fonda once said that she's in her third act, which I adore. I plan on, I'm looking forward to my third act and my fourth act. But yeah. You, but you have a Colleen, I was coaching with Colleen, and we you boldly proclaim 2.0. What's 2.0? So it's life 2.0. So my, my thought is, is having that second chapter in life. You're right. People can have two, three, four chapters if they want, and that's awesome. But I looked at more of a transformation. So what that 2.0 represents is a transformation from where you are today to where you want to be. So that 2.0 represents the life that, you want to have that next chapter that is fulfilling and is what everyone wants to live. That's that 2.0. So, so my, my whole thought is to be able to get women from where they are today to where they want to be. And that where you want to be is that 2.0. Upgrade your life software. Talk to yes. <laughs> Exactly. You can schedule a discovery call with uh, Colleen on her website. That's coachingwithcolleen.com. And you can find her on LinkedIn. Uh, her last name's spelled G-O-S-C. You can find her on all the major social media platforms. Colleen, thank you. I got so excited when I saw that you booked. And I really appreciate the time. It's not often I talk to women who are able to go out in public and say, you know what, I was abused and I changed my life. So it was an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Aloha and mahalo. Bye. <laughs> Bye.